Broadcasting live from the toy shop, this is The Monstrous Feminine, the podcast where horrible humans talk about horror. My name is Zeba, and I'm joined by my good guys, Mila and Louisa. And in this episode, we're continuing our doll horror theme and talking about the 1988 horror film Child's Play, directed by Tom Holland. Ty is not available this episode, but she'll be back soon. Before we get into the film, go ahead and follow us on Spotify, YouTube, or the Apple Podcasts app. You can find all of our links on our Instagram at the Monstrous Feminine Podcast. In Child's Play, a little boy named Andy is gifted a good guy's doll named Chucky by his single mother, Karen. Unbeknownst to Karen, the doll has been possessed by the spirit of a serial killer. Chucky begins killing people around Andy, who insists over and over again that his doll is responsible. What is initially dismissed as childhood paranoia is gradually accepted as Karen realizes that Chucky is operating without batteries. The problem then becomes, who will believe her? I said talk to me, damn it, or else I'm gonna throw you in the fire! You stupid bitch, you filthy slut! Did you fuck with me? I wanted to say about how Chucky intermixed with Toy Story ingrained in me a very, very deep, deep, not even necessarily fear, but just deep belief that my toys were alive. They were alive. Mm-hmm. It's a natural belief to have. They led us to believe it. They led us to believe it. But like when you mix the fact that what zeitgeist we grew up with, which was Toy Story for our age group height. So like we knew that our toys came alive. But we also had Chucky there on the back burner of like horror. So you, I also thought toys could commit harm. So this was like not a healthy combination. And I remember once, so as discussed in our previous episode, that I collected ducks. And once I swear I saw my stuffed animal duck blink. Like one that did not have eyelids. Didn't have eyelids. Well, you know, like dolls have (laughs) eyelids sometimes. But anyway, I then also as a child had a a no child psychologist listening to this. I don't want to be read into fuck off. But I had a deep-seated fear of eyes. So when I was younger, all of this intermixed with, my, I went through a phase. My mom had to turn around every duck on my shelf or any doll or anything looking at me. It was mostly ducks, though, because I collected them. Because I didn't want them to look at me while I was sleeping because I felt like they were watching me. And then in the morning, she could turn them around and it was fine. So that was all, I think, born from a combination of Toy Story and Chucky. And Toy Story, I didn't even realize, but like the kid's name is Andy. And the kid's name in Chucky is Andy. They knew what they were doing. I feel like Pixar is a little cheeky sometimes with things like that. I fully believe my dolls were alive. I didn't think they were evil. I did believe them to be alive, though. And so I took extra good care of them because I wanted them to be comfortable and have a happy life. And it was also 100% because of Toy Story. Um, not that I thought they would enact revenge on me if they didn't have happy lives, but, you know, I felt an obligation. Maybe it was a Venus and Cancer thing to, like, you know, make sure that they were booling. You know, when you're, like, in an in-between age and you kind of have, like, toys that you haven't gotten rid of or given away that, like, are, like, left over, whatever, I felt really bad about, like, having them around. I'm like, fuck, they're probably really sad about, like, being in boxes in the closet and shit because I don't play with them anymore. But I babysat a slightly younger girl who would like come over and she would play with my dolls and like play pretend but if she wasn't playing with them she would make me turn them around like you did like because she didn't like them looking at her I was kind of insulted I'm like you think my dolls are evil and looking at you 
she played with them fine. It was just when it wasn't playtime, she didn't, she wanted her privacy, I suppose. I was scared. I don't know if I thought they were evil. I was just scared of the notion that they were alive. They're alive and they're not telling me. <laughs> should make it known. I was scared of the deceit. Like that. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> the what deceit. I was like, what are they thinking about? Like, why, why can't they just be honest? I didn't like that. I was like, maybe they are plotting something. I don't know. Like, I just was like, why can't we just clear the air and talk about it? I don't know. I don't remember being scared by it. I think I like animals more than I liked my toys. I certainly didn't need reassurance that they were alive. In this film, I really felt for Andy and that he was not believed. Equally, I would be the person not believing him. Well, that's your Taurus-ness. I might believe him because, like, here's the thing. I do not believe that toys are alive at my big age. But I do believe that spirits like to possess dolls. I mean, Annabelle. I'm, t- I'm going to talk about Annabelle right now. <laughs> this is my time. The real Annabelle doll, the real possessed doll, is a Raggedy Ann doll, which is, like, not a scary-looking one. Like, I would not suspect that. I think kids are alert to spirits more than we are. I feel like they're closer to the veil. I feel like they can sense when like something is up. So if my child told me like, I don't like this toy, this toy freaks me out. Guess what? We're getting rid of the toy. No questions asked. I don't need to know if it's actually haunted. I just feel like all kinds of objects can get haunted, not just dolls. If my child came to me and like was convinced in something being true, I wouldn't try to convince them otherwise because I don't think it matters whether their toy came alive and spoke to them. Like obviously this is assuming they're not just lying. They like truly think it happened. It doesn't matter whether it did or not. Like they experienced it as if it did. So like you should approach it kind of in that way. I guess the thought is that like to teach them to not be afraid should tell them that things like that don't happen, which I can understand. I don't know. But then you don't want to feed their delusions. It's a fine line to play. I think it's a judgment call in the moment. You got to feel the vibe. The Monstrous Feminine is on Instagram, so please go leave us a comment. If you do engage with our content, you might just get a shout out in our next episode as our Witch of the Week. This episode, our Witch of the Week is Heavy Tickle, who commented on our post on The Descent and said, I saw this movie when I was young, and the car accident scene in the beginning also scarred me. Thanks, boo, I feel seen. I def hated Juno as a child, but you guys really changed my mind on that. I appreciate all the new meaning and insight you guys shared. Heart hands emoji. Thanks. That is so sweet. Like I said, I feel seen. I feel seen that you also were scarred with the car accident scene because I felt it was traumatizing. And I'm glad that we could help you see the film in a different perspective. I feel like talking to these people helps me see films in a different perspective too. I hope that you can connect with your inner child, but it sounds like you already have Heavy Tickle. (laughs) Calling you Heavy Tickle is so funny. I don't want to know your actual name. I just want to call you Heavy Tickle from here into the end of days. But anyway, I hope that your inner child is very happy. Do something to satisfy them this week. Friendly reminder that we are also on Patreon. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion from our main episodes. And for £5, you get all that plus a bonus episode. Please support us. Any contribution helps. Starting off strong with the scene where we get like the batteries falling out of the packaging. And it's just that like tight shot on the batteries. We already know, but I think they do it so well to like still instill like that 
stomach drop moment. Because it's not about us knowing, it's about Chucky knowing that we know. Like, you know what I mean? It's also like validating the the child's testimony. Because <laughs> it could also, it'd be like, oh, it was a dream type thing. There's a reviewer, Stephanie Archer, for Film Inquiry, who talks about the play in a perspective. And they, they say that basically this film is a corruption of childhood innocence in general. That is our point. They talk about how, you know, child's play invites the audience to basically take on the perspective of a child in the sense that we always know from the beginning that Chucky is alive. That's why we really identify with Andy because you have that experience of like you're also being denied, like your perspective is also being brought into question and everything. So it makes it that much more emotive because we're brought on the ride with Andy. And I think the way they play with pace, tension, truth and marry that with like a child in the middle is really interesting. They made a very weird, scary looking doll in and of itself. It definitely added to the conspiracy theory that gingers don't have souls. I knew that you were going to say that. I didn't, uh, not because he's a redhead. Apparently his appearance was based off of, um, there was a My Buddy toy doll. And the film was actually originally called Blood Buddy. He was also dressed in denim overalls and a striped shirt. And that was an IMDB fact. Another reviewer, K.T. Hines for Strange Harbor, said, Really, it's masterful how Chucky can be overt, campy, comical, and yet so creepy. All thanks to the franchise creator, Don Mancini, who brought home invasion horror to the next level. They say, sure, there's a myriad of problematic content to acknowledge, particularly Karen's graphic sexual assault and the gross misrepresentation of voodoo, but these are indicative of the 80s time period rather than a scathing indictment. I thought that was like a good summary in that this is absolutely camp, but it's also quite, just quite good. It's quite good horror. Yeah, I did think that was a nice segue into some of the problematic elements because, yeah, the sudden sexual assault, which the cop is there and sees. Not that I have any faith in the cops because they are frequently people who perpetrate this violence and commit this violence. However, it's just wild that he just like gave him a telling off and then like let this guy go and he witnessed the, sex- the attempted sexual assault. Number one, that was wild. Number two, yeah, the voodoo thing. I did not realize that Chucky was based on a voodoo lore. That was surprising to me. It just like came out of nowhere and we had... It took such a turn. We just had like, go visit this black guy who taught you about voodoo. And I was like, oh, okay. Honestly, I feel like the biggest misrepresentation is that like voodoo is a closed practice. There's no circumstance where that man would have taught him anything. For what reason would you have taught him any of that shit? And then when he comes back as Chucky, he's like, look what I did. And the man is like, what? You use the magic I taught you for evil? I'm like, he's a known serial killer. He's literally on the news every night. I don't know why you're sitting here shocked. Well, you're really angry at this guy. I can't remember this man's name. I can't remember his character's name. But you're really angry at this voodoo witch for passing on the knowledge beyond the community. Was he paid? Like, for what reason did he do it? It kind of sounds like he was just saying it for funsies. Just like, oh my god, this is this really cool thing. And then he came back as a serial killer and he's like, wait, what? I do think the only redemptive thing about it is that they, by that logic, there's an implication that voodoo could just be a practice in itself and that it's been corrupted in this instance and not that it's innately corrupt as a practice. I think that's the only thing that is like somewhat positive about its use of voodoo. That is like me clutching for straws here. But yeah, I think that's the only thing. I w- Where's Ari when we need her? <laughs> She's literally watching American Dad in the living room right now. I hadn't seen Chucky. I know it's not called Chucky. Fuck you, whatever. 
but I obviously knew about it as like a cultural I knew him as a cultural icon just like in the noughties but I never I want to say just I didn't really care enough to watch it but I had no idea that the premise of his like possession was that it was a serial killer and that to me was I mean it's very funny but also them trying to like I suppose create a more fleshed out backstory for me actually ends up being less scary what I mean to say is that like you can't like come at it and be like oh but this truest horror of them all is that people can just be evil for evil's sake a much scarier thing would be if he was possessed by an actual demon who you know does whatever the fuck he wants that's that's how he acted anyway they called him the strangler he did not strangle he gets he gets backstory in the many many sequels he strangles someone in this in the sequel. I watched Child's Play 2 because I was intrigued and I wish I had time and I would have watched them all. Like, I really enjoyed this film, but I, I, do, I don't want to watch any more of it. It is like when we talk about like with Saw. Saw was 2000s and very much franchise invention. But like, obviously, the Curse of Chucky, whatever, those are also the kind of 2000s period of like franchise franchise. Whereas Child's Place 1, 2, and 3, I feel like are very, very, very early examples. And I feel like that's kind of where it would stop for me. I don't know if I'd go beyond the child's, the third Child's Play, if that makes sense. Because it's just the same thing over and over. But yeah, I think that's just my criticism of franchises as a whole. It's very formulaic. At the end of the film, they kill Chucky. But at the beginning of the next film, Chucky's somehow back to life. I feel like the argument I always hear is like, well, why don't they just punt it? Like, why is it such a hard thing to defeat this doll? Because he does not have the strength of a man, right? Like, he's just a man in a doll's body. Like, presumably, he he should not be able to overpower you. But I think that's what makes the kills in this so fun and unique is because he does not have the strength of a man. So they all have to be hijinks. Like he's got to like blow up the building or he's got to like form some sort of strange weapon or he's got to like set a trap. Like I just feel like his need to be sneaky because he is but a doll and only like a foot high is what makes for the fun and interesting and campy kills. So I think that's why I excuse that he's a man in a doll's body, even though I do think a demon or just a possessed doll is scarier by nature. I think this is funnier. (laughs) I would like to officially welcome Chucky into the Hall of Fame of horror icons that queer movement, because the way he scuttles around. (laughs) So someone described an article that he scuttles and I was like, like the Baba Duck. It is so Babadook. I was like, look at that man scuttle. The non-binary fit as of this year. If Pennywise and Babadook are dating, so is they're like our gay rep, do you think Chucky's our non-binary rep? Yes, he is canonically an ally because in the show, he has a non-binary child. Oh, wait, what? He has a kid? Yeah. The show brings all the lore together. But yeah, there's a very viral clip from the show, from the promos for the show where Chucky's like talking about his non-binary child. And he's like, yup, gender fluid. I'll put the clip in. It's really funny. I have a queer kid. You have a kid. Gender fluid. And you're, you're cool with it. I'm not a monster, Jake. I did an online drinking game, like I found rules online to watch this movie, and one of them was drink every time it's Chucky Vision. So I was really excited. 
adults are looking for him and they're not looking in the right area at all. But like, even after they know it's a doll, they're still like looking up. I'm like, why are you looking up? Look at your feet. <laughs> but yeah, I hadn't considered the Chucky vision where it's like so tiny. Their like lack of ability to take on this doll. Like you said, Zaber, the fact that this is a doll with the doll strength, we assume. And the fact that they like really were sometimes just like outwitted, outdone by this little doll that you could have just picked up and smashed against something is so funny to me. He was a menace, to be fair. I love when he bites their necks. He's so quick to bite. He doesn't even think about it. So apparently, according to IMDb, they used various people methods to portray Chucky, including RC animatronics and people who have dwarfism or also child actors. And I was like, okay, a little bit of an offensive mix there. So various animatronics and cosmetics were used for every scene throughout the movie. Chucky's cosmetic transition from looking toy-like to more human look. The film created multiple Chucky animatronics, such as a flailing tantrum Chucky, a walking Chucky, stationary Chucky. I know that Chucky dolls and Chucky merchandise are like very popular horror merch. I just don't know that I could have one in my home. Little throwback to last episode, Talkie Tina from the television series Twilight Zone was one of the first devil doll characters in movies and television. And that was inspiration for Chucky. And that was from IMDb, but as well as several other dolls, such as the Cabbage Patch Kids, there was also other films, the Trilogy of Terror, Magic, Poltergeist, the character of Freddy Krueger from A Nightmare on Elm Street, and The Twilight Zone, like I said. So yeah, the film's executive producer, David Krishner, who would produce all seven films in the Chucky series, claimed that in the same interview that he had wanted to make a film about a killer doll after reading The Dollhouse Murders. And the director, Tom Holland, had also affirmed that the My Buddy dolls, as I said before, played a role in Chucky's design. His like face kind of reminded me of... This is insane because it's not, it doesn't look like this, but you know the clean girl aesthetic? Oh, you know what it is? It's like the laminated brows. And then he's got little freckles drawn on. The way Chucky's so ahead of his time, he really like forecasts both straight girl aesthetic and non-binary fits. Yeah, that's so true. Another really interesting origin or inspiration behind Chucky, according to Don Mancini, is and this is from Wikipedia, that he first conceived the concept when he was studying as a film major at the University of California in Los Angeles, and he said he was inspired by consumerism of the 1980s and the effect marketing on children based on his experiences with his father as an advertising executive. And that's kind of reminding me what you said, Zeba, about uh, Living Doll in the Living Doll episode, how like marketing for like, you know, gender reveals and like stuff and blue and green and or, sorry, blue and green. All of that was just invented to push sales before the baby's even born. I think that's really interesting. And yeah, apparently an early, according to IMDB, uh, an earlier version of the script was just like a satire on marketing and merchandising. And then it morphed into a horror. I mean, in in Child's Play 2, we do go in, we actually see the toy factory and stuff. And you see like the mass production of the good guys dolls. So I think it goes into that a little bit more. It's so haunting that by the end of this, like the reason that the sequels can go on and on and on is because nobody believes them. Like there's nobody alive to believe them or like the people who witnessed it. Like there's nothing, there's no evidence. It's actually quite heartbreaking the second one. If you feel sorry for Andy in the first one, you feel so- even worse for him for two because he's like, now he's in foster care because his mom was institutionalized because she believed him and back to stories. So they're like, oh, she's obviously crazy. And the police, they said, denied it. 
So those two cops obviously turned on the mom in this film and they turned on her in the second film. So you just see him like struggle with his new foster family and also not be believed and just be looked upon as a troubled child. And then in Child's Play 3, he's like in military school because he failed to like integrate with any foster. It's really sad. My favorite part is when um, Chucky's under the seat with the knife and it's like very penetrative and he's going, he's, and the knife is going up. I think it's really funny. I was hee hee ha ha Speaking of penetrative, do we think there's any um, mon femme in this? I don't think it's quite mon femme because Chucky is a male. So I don't really see what lore of the mother we have here, except for maybe this isn't really create just general sexism. But yeah, a single mom and the hysteria of that and not her not being believed. But I don't think that's quite mon femme. That's just general sexism, isn't it? Not really, not really mon femme. This is a stretch, but like... I mean, the idea of dolls coming to life and dolls always being, well, I don't know what age Chucky's supposed to be, but babies and dolls that are not necessarily possessed by a serial killer, but are just a little bit uncanny. Aren't they always a little bit monstrous feminine in the sense that not too long ago they were in a womb? from a womb, yeah, that's what I was going to say. And it feels a little bit like runaway fetus. Okay, I mean, I guess in Chucky, okay, this is a huge fucking stretch, but off the back of that. Off the back of my stretch, you can stretch a little bit further. We're just like doing a Jordan Peele's us hands across America stretch right now. I would say that Chucky, fearing that he might be stuck in a doll's body forever, is somewhat reminiscent of, you know, the archaic mother's fear of reincorporating you into the womb stunted development no subjecthood is developed you are stuck in that like really dependent mother status yeah sense that you've been stripped of your personhood i guess it could work because archaic mother is not supposed to be present e.g creed is talking about dracula so maybe that could work i need more background into why he's a serial killer like why he strangles if he has like mommy issues i know i'd be like absolutely it's archaic mother. you know what i mean i just need that little bit more I don't want to say it's lazy because I think that's unfair. I think they've had a lot of intention in terms of like how they want to execute this horror. But I just mean that they were, they thought it would be by default scary to make him a serial killer. But actually, scary, scary, <laughs> sorry, serial killers, in order to like evoke true horror, like really get under your skin to disturb, you need to know why the fuck they're killing. Maybe that's just me. I do not remember it. I do know that you get more of it, but it's not like... It's kind of it's kind of like how Michael Myers like okay we do get this initial kind of backstory but then they like add so much to it that it's becomes this very complicated web type of situation and also like like okay there's the Chucky trilogy and then there's lots of offshoots of it where I'm not sure that the canon even stays consistent all this to say that like yes he does have a reason he strangles can I just say that according to IMDb, he has a, he's, he's like, his character Charles Lee Ray is inspired by a quite a mix of notorious killers. So Charles Manson, right? Okay, fair. Lee Harvey Oswald, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, and James Earl Ray, the assassination of Martin Luther King. I was like, what a range. That sounds like some shit that Ryan Murphy would come up with. 
more behind the scenes, apparently there was a deleted scene where we learned more about Andy's backstory. We don't get more of Charles Lee Ray, but we get Andy. And it's that his father was called Bob and was killed in like a car accident a few months before the events of the film. And that Chucky knows this because Andy gives him, like, shows him a picture. And then that's why he has some control over Andy initially, because he, like, plays the role of a father, like, sympathizes a newly grieving child. And it's meant to, like, kind of show a little bit, like, add some more context as to why, like, Andy's initially kind of bonded to Chucky until he starts doing evil things. I think it's really scary that we, that he just, like, whispers to him for a long time, and it's implied that he's saying real things, but, like, the adults can't hear it. That was, I think, very well-timed. Like, the amount of time before we heard Chucky speak in his adult man voice was, like, perfect. Because once he does, it was so funny and so scary at the same time. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast and on Twitter at The Monfem Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod for podcast clips and more fun. Brooms up, witches out. <laughs>